Hi, ladies. Welcome to the Olives and Arrows podcast, where we discuss women's health, marriage, fertility, pregnancy, birth, motherhood, and much more from a biblical worldview. While we might not agree on every theological issue, we are unified in the truth of the gospel and recognize that this cannot be separated from our experiences. It's a gift to be able to share these things with you today. I pray that you will be encouraged and that God will be glorified. Keep in mind that the things we discuss are personal experiences. You may relate to the information, but every woman's body is different. You should always discuss your health and wellness practices with a trusted healthcare provider. Please note that on this podcast, we do discuss details regarding our bodies that you might want to discuss with your kids before they hear them on our show. With that in mind, let's get started. Kayla, welcome to the All Zaneros podcast. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we talked a little bit before we started recording, but um, I'd love to just jump in here. Will you tell me a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you're from, um, a little bit about your family? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my name is Kayla. I live in Texas. I used to be an elementary teacher before I had my son. Um a little less than two years ago, and now I'm a stay-at-home mom. I also run a online business for teachers in my spare time, but that's kind of a little bit on the back burner right now. Um, my son is 20 months old, and then my husband, Aaron, and I have been married for about four and a half years now. Wonderful. That's awesome. Um, I'm actually in Texas too, so it's oh, always awesome. exciting to talk to another Texan. <laughs> Um, so how did you and your husband meet? Um, we actually met at church. Um, we don't have like one of those like first meeting stories. Cause it was just kind of one of those things where we just had a lot of mutual friends and, you know, we'd seen each other and we knew of the other person. Um, and, you know, we were, you know, we would often hang out in groups and stuff. Um, so neither of us really knows like when we met and we don't really think we had like a moment where we officially met. It was just, you know, kind of one of those natural things. Um, but when we really got to know each other, we actually were both in the worship band at our church. Um, and we, um, got assigned to be in the same group. Our church had like kind of a rotation of bands and kept them with the same people. And so like once, every couple of weeks, we would be up on stage leading worship. And um, we got assigned to the same band. And so that was the first time that we really kind of um, started getting to know each other. Because, um, you know, that was a much smaller group setting, about six people, I think. Um, and so we were spending a lot of time together just at rehearsal and um, in between the services and stuff at church. And so we started talking while we were part of that band and um, the rest is history. <laughs> I love it. So how long from when y'all kind of started dating to when you got married? So we started dating. Our first date was actually New Year's Eve of 2014. Um, yes. And then we got engaged in May 2016 and married in October 2016. So it was a little less than two years from that's first awesome. date to marriage. Yes. Yeah, that's great. And how soon after y'all got married, were you ready to start trying for a baby? 
So I was ready right away. Um, I wanted to immediately start a family. Um, I also had some concerns just with my history. I was a little concerned about my chances of getting pregnant or I, I was feeling like I had concerns that it might take some time. And so I was kind of like, well, we should just go ahead and start. But my husband wasn't ready yet. And so we decided to, to go ahead and wait. Um, and we officially started trying. Um, it was a little bit less than a year into our marriage. Uh, we got married in October and it was August when um, we officially started trying to have a baby. Got it. Got it. And can you tell us a little bit about your history that you're that you're referring to? Yeah. So, um, ever since I was a teenager, um, I just had very irregular cycles, um, had a lot of issues, a lot of symptoms of things that kind of maybe pointed to a hormonal imbalance, but I had had my hormones tested and everything was normal. And so my doctor that I saw growing up, just a general practitioner was never super concerned about it. Um, and then before I got married, I ended up going to a different doctor, but it was still another, just a general practitioner, uh, family doctor. And, you know, once again, wasn't, didn't really raise any serious concerns about it. And so I just kind of, you know, was like, well, I guess it's nothing, but I knew that that would make it difficult to get pregnant. Um, and so uh, you know, that was kind of where my concerns came in. But I had never been officially diagnosed with anything at that point. Gotcha. So tell us about that process of getting diagnosed. And I guess that kind of starts with your um, starting to try to get pregnant. So I think start there. Okay. Yeah. So we started um, trying to get pregnant in August. And um, uh it was a very frustrating uh, process because um, a couple months into starting to try, I just stopped having periods and I went six months and nothing. And that makes it very difficult <laughs> to figure out because, you know, timing yeah. is timing is everything. Mm -hmm. And I had no way of tracking the timing or anything. And so it was very, very frustrating. It was like, we were technically trying, but at the same time, we kind of weren't because we, you know, had no way of knowing when the right time was. And so it was very, very frustrating. And so finally, I had um, been talking to someone who was starting a business um, I just came across her on Facebook in a Facebook group, but she was starting a business um, to help people get pregnant. She like that was her business. She was going to like she had like a little survey that she was going to send out to people and they would fill it out so that she could get to know them and their cycle and everything. And then she would create a plan for you um, as far as like what you should do and when you should be doing certain things and everything and kind of make a schedule for you. And she was in the process of like starting this business. And so she was looking for some people to um, try out her services for free in exchange for a review. And so I was like, I don't know what I'm doing apparently. 
And so I would love some help. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, amazing. Yeah. So I talked to her. And um, anyway, so I, I did that with her and she sent me the survey and I filled it out. And, you know, like one of the questions was, you know, about your cycle, because that's what it's all about. And um, I, in there, you know, I mentioned that I hadn't had one in six months. And I didn't think anything of it. You know, I'm thinking, oh, great. She's going to tell me like what I need to do about that. And instead, what kind of happened was she responded to me and said, I don't, I, she said, like, I don't really, this really complicates things. But she also said something that is very, very helpful to me. Because no one, no doctor that I'd ever had had told me this, but she told me that she was concerned about it because if you go too long without having a period, it can actually cause cancer and like some other really yeah. serious health issues. Yeah. I didn't know that. No one had ever told me that. Mm -hmm. A doctor had never told me that. And so then I was like, maybe I need to go see a new doctor. Like this was normal for me. And so I just didn't think anything of it. And so her response there really prompted me to be like, okay, maybe I need to go see a professional about this and, and, you know, see what's going on. And, um, so that, that was kind of, you know, I, I'm very thankful that the Lord brought her into my life at that time. Um, to just a casual conversation, a totally casual thing. And it led me to go see a doctor and a doctor who specializes in this, which was an, an OBGYN. Um, I'd never seen an OBGYN before. I'd only ever gone to family doctors for my yeah. annual exam. So um, I was talking to a, a friend of mine or actually I have two different friends and both of them actually recommended the same OBGYN to me. It was someone that they had both seen. They both really liked her. Um, and so, and I was looking for one. And so I went ahead and made an appointment with her and um, I was able to get in with her pretty quickly. And she was amazing. She's still my doctor to this day. I absolutely love her. And, um, you know, I just went in and I basically said, like, here's what's going on. My husband and I are trying to start a family, but I haven't had a period in six months. And she immediately just like looked at me and said, has anyone ever told you that you have polycystic ovarian syndrome? And I said, no, <laughs> but I kind of suspected I did. Yeah. I randomly followed this girl on Pinterest. It's a girl that I barely know, but she has PCOS. And she actually has a board on Pinterest where she would pin articles about PCOS. And one day I was scrolling through Pinterest and I saw a lot of her stuff and I was like, I wonder what PCOS is. I'd never heard of it. I had no idea. And so I just clicked on it out of sheer curiosity. And as I'm reading it, I was like, oh my gosh, I think I have this. <laughs> like this yeah. sounds like me. And I wasn't expecting that when I clicked on it. I was just curious. Um, and so I had kind of suspected it. And so when she said that, I said, no, nobody's ever told me that. But I, I mean, I kind of think I do. And she said, yeah, I think you do too. But let's go ahead and run some tests and make sure. But that's what it sounds like to me. And so um, she checked some blood work uh, to check my hormone levels. 
Oddly, those still came back normal. Not really sure what's going on with that because typically there is a hormonal imbalance with PCOS. Um, but she also did a sonogram to take a look at my ovaries um, to see if it had the cysts on there, and it did. And so um, she... Yeah. And what, what was sorry, that no. moment like when when she showed on the sonogram your ovaries? Was it kind of the typical like string of pearls look? It was, yes. It was, it's funny. One of them was like that. The other one was a little different, but what the sonogram revealed was, um, it it was a little bit different because I had just ovulated because, you know, I went in to see her. I hadn't had a period in six months and like two days after it started. (laughs) And so I went back in the next week for the sonogram. And so that's why it looked a little different because I had ovulated from that one. But um, but yes, the other one was the typical during like Pearl's textbook PCOS, she said. Um, yeah. Well, and I think that's, you know, an important thing to note here because um, whenever I was diagnosed with PCOS, I had the same thing. My hormones came back fine. Okay. But as soon as that sonogram turned on, it was like, oh my goodness, there's all yeah. the cysts. So I think like to anyone listening who might think that they have it because they have some weird symptoms, um, don't stop at the blood work, like ask for the sonogram. Absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about kind of what you did from there. Yes. So, um, I was talking then to my doctor after I, you know, I officially got the diagnosis. This was a week after I originally saw her because she had scheduled me for a sonogram. And so that had to be scheduled, you know, for a different day. Um, So I came back in a week, did the sonogram. She looked at it and said, yes, you have PCOS. And, you know, so then from there it was, okay, what are the next steps? Like we're trying to get pregnant. We're trying to have a baby what do we do? And so she told me some of my different options. Um, and, uh, basically the, um, the like most basic option other than just, you know, trying to see if it happens for you naturally without really doing anything is to take some medication that, um, helps you ovulate. I don't know the science behind it or how it works, but that's the purpose of it is you take it at a certain point in your cycle near the Mm -hmm. beginning, and it's just supposed to help you ovulate. And so that is kind of, um, and so that's the route that we went. I figured, okay, yeah, let's try that. Let's see if taking this just a little boost, (laughs) see if I'll ovulate, because that was really the big issue with my cycles is just, I wasn't ovulating regularly. And obviously that makes it hard to get pregnant. So, um, you know, I talked to my husband and we said, yeah, let's go ahead and try that. Um, And so she prescribed me um, a drug called Clomid. Mm -hmm. There's a couple different ones that you can take, but Clomid was the one that she gave me. And so, and then I um, started that. Awesome. So, um, how soon after you started Clomid did y'all get a positive pregnancy test? So I did three cycles of Clomid. Um, the first cycle, she put me on the lowest dosage because that's typically where they start just because it can have some side effects. They don't want to give you too much. Um, and so she put me on the lowest dose. Um, I started it a couple days after I was supposed to just because of the way the timing worked out with 
my period having started right after I saw her, but before the sonogram. And so I was a little like a couple days after when I should have started. Um, but so that kind of messed the timing up a little bit. So I wasn't really sure like when I was ovulating. And then the other thing that I learned during this first cycle is that ovulation tests are not super accurate when you have PCOS because you typically have right. an elevated level of LH anyway. Totally. And, and so I learned that through this process because I kept getting positives and then like nothing would happen. And I was like, I don't know what's going on. So anyway, I, you know, I had thought I was ovulating, but then, you know, two weeks passed and I wasn't pregnant, but I also didn't get my period. And so I, you know, I, did a little bit of research then and found out, oh yeah, they're not always accurate when you have PCOS. Um, and so in corresponding with my doctor, she said, yes, that's right. And she recommended a different brand for me to try that, um, that she thought would be a little bit more accurate. Um, and so my, I actually did end up getting my period that cycle, um, but it was later than I had expected. Um, probably because the timing was all messed up. And so um, when that happened, you know, I contacted her. I said, okay, it apparently, I don't know if it was the medication or if it just happened naturally, but, you know, it worked, but I'm not pregnant. So let's go again. So she prescribed it to me again, the, the low dose again. Um, and I bought the new ovulation tests with the brand that she recommended. And I, for the first time ever, got a negative ovulation test. So I was like, okay, I already like mm -hmm. these better because I've yeah. never gotten a negative before. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, that's a good sign that this maybe is a little more accurate. Um, but I never did get the positive on that one. And so it, it didn't work. And, you know, several weeks went by and I didn't get my period. And so I, you know, contacted her again and said, okay, it doesn't look like this round worked. So this time um, I went back in to see her just to kind of talk about it again. And so she ended up prescribing me a, a new drug called Provera, which just um, it's progesterone and it just helps to start your period since I needed to kind of restart the cycle. Mm -hmm. um, and who knows when that was going to happen <laughs> naturally. So she gave me that. And then once I got my period, um, she prescribed me Clomid again, but she upped the dosage to the next highest level. And so I took it then and that was it. Third time was the charm. And I um, got pregnant with my son. Oh, well, praise God. That's so exciting. Um, and so what was that like getting that positive pregnancy test after, you know, quite the journey of finding out yeah. you have this new, you know, condition that you didn't know you had um, to kind of having to be medicated to start your period and to initiate ovulation? And like, what did that feel like when you finally got that positive? I was in disbelief. <laughs> um, you know, yeah. it was I'd never gotten a positive pregnancy test before. And I was like, is this for real? Um, I was teaching at the time. And so and my husband um, was managing a restaurant and I, I got up way earlier than him to go to work. He didn't typically have to be there until later in the morning. And so he was asleep and I got up and um, I had been feeling very crampy for a few days. And I, I 
I'm a researcher. And so of course, you know, and obviously you're trying to get pregnant. You're like noticing every little thing and you're like, could that mean I'm pregnant? Could this mean I'm pregnant? And so I'm like Googling stuff, which I know you're not supposed to do, but I did it anyway. Hey, we all do it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, anyway, that's when I learned about implantation cramping. And so I, you know, was looking at reading about it and I was like, this is exactly feels like the way that it was described was exactly what I was feeling. The timing was right. Like from when I started feeling it was eight days after ovulation. And that was about the time that you would feel implantation cramping. And so, you know, I was like, I wonder if that's what this is. But of course, I didn't want to get my hopes up. So I was like, you know, okay, it might not be, you know, I don't know, I'm not going to say I'm pregnant, because I have no idea. But you know, in hindsight, I knew I really did know um, you know, but I was just trying to, you know, <laughs> not get my hopes up. Um, so I, you know, I went with that for a couple of days. I didn't want to take a test too early. I didn't want to get a negative and be discouraged. So I waited until I was pretty sure that I would get an accurate result. Um, and so it was a Monday morning and I know you're supposed to take the test first thing in the morning. Um, they're the most accurate that way. And so my husband was asleep. I didn't want to wake him up and get him all excited just in case. And so yeah. I just kind of quietly, when I got up in the morning, took the test, waited the two minutes. Actually, I didn't even have to wait the two minutes. The, the second line showed up immediately and it was dark. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, I was That's like, awesome. there's no mistaking that. And I was just so in shock and I didn't know what to do. So I just like kind of walked back into the bedroom and I like nudged my husband and woke him up. And I was like, babe, I just took a pregnancy test and it's positive. Oh. And, he, and he was like, what? <laughs> and, um, and the first thing we did was pray. Um, yeah. You know, I was, I was excited, but I was also in disbelief. And I was also really scared because I was afraid that after, you know, the journey that we went through and um, also knowing that you do have a higher chance of miscarriage with PCOS, I was just really worried um, that it wasn't going to work out. And so the first thing we did was we prayed and, um, you know, then I went off to work and I couldn't tell anybody <laughs> and that was hard. Um, oh, so hard. Yes. yes. <laughs> I just wanted to be like, Hey, guess what? <laughs> um, so, but anyway, um, I, when I got home from work that day, I took another test just to be sure. And, um, and it was still positive. And so I was like, okay, I guess this is the real deal. Um, and so I, you know, we didn't tell, we told some people pretty quickly, we wanted prayer on our side. Um, and so we told our small group, at, um, that we were with a church, um, and we told my parents, um, just people who could be praying for us. Um, and, um, you know, we, we revealed it publicly after, um, we got the first sonogram where we saw, where we saw the heartbeat that was kind of our, like, okay, let's go ahead and tell, you know, make it public, which I know is maybe taboo for some people. You know, a lot of people don't want to say it during the first trimester and, you know, get out of that first, but, that's not what we did. <laughs> we were excited. Yeah. We heard the heartbeat. We knew that chances of miscarriage, not that you can't have one after you hear the heartbeat, but it does drop significantly. And, mm -hmm. you know, again, we still wanted people praying for us. And, um, you know, so that was kind of when we chose to go ahead and make it public. And, you know, thankfully, 
um, the Lord protected um, our child and protected me and um, I carried the pregnancy to term. Yeah, praise God. Um, I think what you did by, you know, announcing early is so sweet because you're, you want to celebrate that life. And I think it's very common for people just to kind of stick with like the 13 week rule or whatever it may be. And if people want to do that, that's fine. But also like life is a gift, you know, and even if sweet baby didn't make it, um, past the, first trimester, it's not like you wouldn't talk about that baby going forward. You know, right. that's always your child. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about your pregnancy then. Um, tell me about how your first trimester was and, um, you know, then on from there. Yeah. Um, you know, God really, really blessed my pregnancy. I, I did not have a rough pregnancy at all. Um, I, I felt nauseous um, for about, until about 11 weeks, um, just like this constant feeling of nausea, but I didn't get like super sick or anything like that. I think I threw up like twice, but that had more to do, I think with the fact that I, with something that I ate, (laughs) um, I just (laughs) ate something and my body was like, nope, we don't like that today. (laughs) Um, but yeah, once I hit 11 weeks, um, that went away. I, you know, I had, I was so tired in the beginning. Exhaustion was real. Um, I was teaching. And so I was getting up early in the morning. I was with students all day on my feet all day. And oh my gosh, I got so behind on grading um, during that time because (laughs) during my breaks, I was just like, I don't want to do anything. I just want to like take a nap. (laughs) And and then I get home. Yeah, it is. And then I'd get home at like, you know, 435 and my husband would be at work most days because like I said, he was managing a restaurant. So we worked evenings and, um, I would just like crash on the couch. (laughs) Like I'd be in bed at eight. Um, it was rough, but once I hit about 11 weeks, um, you know, near the end of the first trimester, um, it was pretty smooth sailing from then all of that went away. And, and I just, I felt normal. I felt like my normal self, um, you know, up until the end when you're kind of miserable and like ready <laughs> for the baby to come out. Um, but thankfully I have a June baby and, um, you know, school ended, um, when I was 36 weeks. So the last four weeks okay. of my pregnancy, I didn't have to be in the classroom teaching. So <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So you carried all the way to 40 weeks then? I did 40 and four days. Wow. That's awesome. That's like really textbook first pregnancy kind of a situation. (laughs) Yeah. So tell us then about your birth. We can go ahead and get into that. Okay. Yeah. Um, I have an interesting birth story. So I was due June 24th and I did not go into labor on June 24th. Um, but I had a doctor's appointment the next day on June 25th. And so I saw my doctor and, you know, she said how, you know, she was fine with scheduling an induction, um, you know, within the next week, if that was what we wanted, I was ready. I wasn't opposed to an induction. And so I said, yes, let's go ahead. You know, we decided let's, let's go ahead and do it. We're ready. Um, I was very uncomfortable. My, uh, my son's 
feet were all up in my ribs. <laughs> and uh, I like even, <laughs> even sitting was painful. Like the only thing yeah. that felt good was like laying flat on my back, but you can't do anything if you're laying on your back all the time. So, um, so yeah, we were like, yeah, let's go ahead and schedule it. And of course, you know, it's, if he, you know, if he comes before then great, but um, we scheduled it for the 28th. So that was a Tuesday that we scheduled it. And the 28th was a, was a Friday. Um, but at that appointment, my doctor um, went ahead and, and checked my cervix. And she felt like um, I wasn't super dilated. I was like maybe a centimeter. Um, but she was having trouble reaching it because she said it hadn't um, moved forward yet. And so she was a little bit concerned about that. And so she said that um, we would we would induce on Friday, but um, to come in the night before on Thursday night um, to um, start the the cervix ripening process. So that's what she mm -hmm. said. My cervix wasn't ripe enough. And Isn't she that felt just like, a beautiful term. I know <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> so um, she she was like, I think you're gonna need a little bit of help with that uh, that ripening. So um, anyway, we scheduled the induction um, and uh, for Friday morning, but I was gonna go on Thursday night to um, receive a ripening agent, and then we'd spend the night in the hospital, and they would induce me um, twelve hours after that. So it was supposed to be a 12 hour deal. So um, we went in on Thursday night, checked in, we were ready. Um, they got the um, ripening agent, it was called Cervidil, in at 7 p.m. I think we got there about six and had to do all the check-in stuff and all that. And then they actually put it in at seven. And so the plan was um, they would start me on Pitocin to induce at 7 a.m. Um, while, uh, while before they officially put in the Cervidil, um, my nurse <laughs> kind of like went over the, you know, the, what it's supposed to do and what could possibly happen. And he basically said, there's three scenarios here that could happen. One is it could ripen your cervix, which is what it's supposed to do. Two is it could not work at all. <laughs> and, you know, then that's unfortunate. I don't know what would happen if that happened. But right. the third is um, it could kick you into labor. And uh, the third option is what happened to me. So <laughs> I um, and and to be completely honest, I may have already been in labor when we went into the mm. hospital. But yeah. it was so early that I wasn't really feeling anything. Mm. I had lost my mucus plug that morning. Um, but you know, I, I, you know, again, I've done my research and I know that that can happen even a few days before you go into labor. And so yeah. I, or I think even a few weeks. And so, you know, that didn't mean anything to me when they hooked me up to that little machine that like shows your contractions, you know, they looked at it and they were like, Hey, you're having contractions right now. Do you feel anything? And I was like, no. Um, and, and what's crazy is I'd actually been having some contractions like very, very like early contractions throughout my third trimester. It just felt like light cramping. Um, but when I talked to my doctor, she said that that is contractions and that's normal. Because of that, I was actually expecting to go into labor early, but I didn't. Um, so anyway, but I wasn't really feeling anything right then. So I was like, no, I don't feel anything. And I just assumed 
I've been having contractions throughout my third trimester. It's probably just that. Um, so anyway, they put the Cervidil in at seven and we had a few visitors. Um, my mother-in-law came by, my parents came by around 10 o'clock, um, that evening. And, um, my contractions had gotten significantly worse by the time my parents were there, but they weren't unbearable. It was just, and they were pretty far apart, but you know, while my parents were there and I was talking and we were talking, you know, every once in a while I'd have to stop and like, you know, cause I was having a contraction and while my parents were there, or it might've been just before they came, the nurse, the nurse came by and, you know, I said, yeah, I'm definitely having contractions now. And he asked me to rate my pain level. And, you know, being in labor for the first time ever, I don't know how painful contractions are going to get, mm, <laughs> but I know yeah. that they're going to get worse. And so he's asking me, you know, on a, on a scale of one to 10, what's your pain level? And I'm like, well, I don't want to rate it too high because I know it's going to get worse. <laughs> so, you know, I, but I don't have any kind of context or gauge for what an appropriate rating is. So I think I said like a five, <laughs> I just went like kind of right in the middle. Cause it was painful. I didn't want to say a two, you know, and have everyone think that I wasn't in pain. Cause I was, but I knew they were going to get worse. So I wanted to leave myself some room. So I said like a five. And when my mom came by, you know, I told her, I said, yeah, I told them like a five. I don't know if that was right. And she said, well, based on the way that you're kind of responding, I'd say that's probably pretty accurate. And I was like, okay, good. So anyway, my parents left around, I guess, 11. And um, things started <laughs> progressing a lot faster. Um, my husband and I were going to try to get some sleep. Um, my husband particularly, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to get any sleep because these things are getting really painful. Um, but, you know, but you go ahead and you try to get some sleep. And so he was kind of, you know, laying on the, the couch there and trying to sleep and he couldn't sleep because my contractions were getting a lot more painful and I was not being quiet about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, eventually, you know, he just got up and was like, okay, forget it. I'm not getting any sleep tonight. Um, so, you know, it's, and this, this whole process is probably about two hours where, you know, we're in there, my husband's trying to sleep. Contractions are getting a lot worse. Um, Anyway, the nurse I thought was supposed to come back in around one to like check my vitals and everything. Um, and so, you know, my husband was kind of like, do you think we need to page the nurse and get him in here? And I was like, no, I don't want to bother him. He's going to be here soon to check my vitals anyway. Like, you know, no, let's not bother them. Um, and so I was expecting him to come soon, but he didn't. I'm sure he, you know, just got busy with something else. But, um, you know, one o'clock came and I was like, okay, he should be here. And he still wasn't there. So finally at around 1.30, um, two things happened. I had a really big contraction. And when I had that contraction, I felt something between my legs, like some like fluid or something squeezing mm -hmm. out. And I was concerned. I that maybe my water had broken. I didn't know what mm -hmm. that felt like. So I was like, I don't know. It was something. Um, and then also I threw up because I was in so much pain. I was yeah. like, Oh, I'm feeling sick. I think I'm going to throw up. My husband, thankfully, bless him, 
pushed mm. the trash can over to me just in time. <laughs> so I got it in the trash can, not all over the floor. Um, but so I threw up all my food that we, we went to Chick-fil-A on our way to the hospital. So that was all gone. Um, so anyway, <laughs> then I was like, okay, let's page the nurse. <laughs> yeah. Let him know what's yeah. going on. So he came in to check and, and he checked and he said, my water hadn't broken. It was just part of my mucus plug, I guess, part that hadn't um, come out earlier that day. Um, and he changed the bag in the trash can. But while he was in there, he could tell that I was having really bad contractions. So he was like, okay, well, let me, you know, let me just go ahead and check you and see where we're at. So he checked my cervix. And um, then he said, um, I think I need to get a second opinion. And I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> what do you mean you need to get a second opinion? And so we called another nurse who came in and then she checked me and she was like, um, yeah, I think that's like a five or a six. And um, he was like, okay, that's what I thought too. And then she was like, when did you put in the cervidil? And he said seven. And she was like, oh, wow, because they weren't expecting uh, me to be progressing that quickly. Um, and so wow. that's apparently really fast. <laughs> and so, um, it had been, you know, at that point, probably five hours since they had put in the cervidil. Mm -hmm. And, um, so, you know, then they asked me, okay, um, you know, are you wanting to do it naturally? Are you wanting an epidural? And I'm not a fan of pain and I am not opposed to medicine. So I was like, no, I want the epidural. I've heard they're amazing. Um, and so they went ahead and ordered the epidural. But of course, it took like 30 minutes to get up there. And in the meantime, my contractions are getting worse and they're getting closer together. So they're already getting ready for delivery because they know that it's coming really quick. And um, all of a sudden, like the contractions are so bad that I can feel my body trying to push this baby out. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. And like, like, it's not me pushing. It's just, I can feel my body doing it. And somewhere in there, the, the epidural finally got there. They already had the doctor, the on-call doctor in there getting ready for delivery because they knew as soon as this epidural is in, like, it's probably going to be about time to go. Right before the epidural got there, they checked me again and I was at a nine. Um, oh and my goodness. So like 30 <laughs> minutes going yeah. from up. Five or a six to a nine. Yes, thirty oh, minutes. Yeah. So, so now it's like two a.m. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, I'm at a nine. And then the epidural walks in. The on-call doctor is getting ready for delivery. Um, I wish, I honestly wish that at that point I had just said, forget the epidural. <laughs> like I wish I hadn't gotten yeah, it now. <laughs> but they walked in and they started doing it. And and so it took her a minute to get it in. Um, and so while I'm sitting up on the edge of my bed and they're trying to stick this big needle in my back and I'm having these awful contractions and my uterus is literally trying to push this baby out of me and I'm like holding on to my husband because I'm just in so much pain while I'm trying to get my epidural my water breaks and like not like it explodes all over my <laughs> on my husband's feet 
Um, <laughs> Your body's really, like, I've got this. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like yelling the whole time. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I feel like I need to push. And everybody in the room yells at me, don't push. Cause I'm sitting up <laughs> on the edge of the bed with, you know, and they're trying to get my epidural and, and I'm like, I'm not pushing, but my body is like, I cannot help it y'all. <laughs> and they just keep saying, don't push, don't you're like what am I supposed to do across my legs I know and I'm just envisioning that I feel like this this baby is coming out and it's just gonna slide right out onto the floor while I'm sitting here (laughs) trying to get this epidural in that's not what happened thankfully but they they finished the epidural and they left while I was in the middle of my epidural I didn't even realize this until like after delivery but apparently the doctor that was in there preparing for my delivery got called into an emergency c-section so he was out of there it's like two in the morning and so they had to call another doctor (laughs) to come in for my delivery because the on-call doctor was now preoccupied and so um Finally, they got the epidural in. There's not a doctor in the room anymore because we're waiting for the new one to show up. They turn me over. They lay me back down. They check me. I'm out of 10 and it's time to go. And so I didn't have a doctor in my room for the first uh, half of my delivery because she was, you know, in transit to the hospital. <laughs> and, um, and so it was just, it was two nurses and they were great. And I didn't even realize until the doc, the new doctor walked in that there hadn't been a doctor in there. Um, but you know, so they were there walking me through it. Um, I pushed for 37 minutes and then that was it. <laughs> so, um, it was crazy. It was a whirlwind, but he was born at 2:50 AM. So it was probably by my estimate about, I don't know exactly when I began labor, but it was about six hours probably. Um, yeah, that's quick. Yeah, it was pretty quick. So um, <laughs> it was a very exciting um, evening. And yeah, my husband was like texting my parents because like I said, they left around 11. They left the hospital. They weren't expecting to come back until the morning, you know, and and wait for the delivery then or, you know, until I was closer. My mom, when she had me, I'm an only child, but when she had me, she was in labor for 36 hours. And so I was expecting that. And I'm sure my mom was expecting something like that too. Um, So you know, when they left the hospital at 11, they got like a text from my husband around one uh, or one thirty, And he was like, oh, so apparently she's at like a five or a six. So they're thinking, oh, okay, so this is going to be earlier than we planned, you know, but they're still thinking like five or six in the morning. Anyway, he texted them again, like 30 minutes later and was like, she's at a nine. <laughs> oh my and they were like, okay, I guess we're heading to the hospital. <laughs> So, but yeah, it was, it was crazy, but, um, but it was great. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. Tell us about those first few hours postpartum. How are you feeling? Um, did everything go pretty smoothly from there? Yeah, everything um, was pretty great. He, he did have a little bit of fluid in his lungs when he was born, Um, and so one thing that, um, they told me that when they come out super fast, that happens a lot. Cause the, like a lot of times if when during delivery, like the liquid or the fluid, like it's squeezed out of them, but when they come really fast, that doesn't happen. And so, um, 
you know, it, it was great. It was kind of surreal. It was kind of like, is this really my baby? Um, but one thing they told me like was to just be careful or to like watch when I got into my like room after not the delivery room, but the like postpartum room, I don't remember what it's called, but, um, when I got into that room and, you know, the, the nurse, the nurse came in and, you know, she knew that he had had fluid in his lungs. And, you know, one thing she told me was like, you know, yeah, if he like starts to turn blue or anything, cause he can't breathe, um, you know, make sure you page us. And that <laughs> freaked me out. I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like what if he starts like choking or suffocating and, and I'm asleep and I miss it. <laughs> And so then I felt like I couldn't sleep or rest and I just had to stare at him all night. Um, (laughs) It was really hard. I definitely didn't get any sleep that night. Um, You know, it was, it was the next afternoon and the only way I would sleep is if my husband was awake watching the baby. Cause I was just like, someone needs to watch him and make sure he's okay. And Um, he was fine. And he was totally fine. Nothing Mm -hmm. happened. But yeah, I was just like, you know, you know, it's that new mom thing. You, you just, you want to, you immediately instinctively just want to do everything you can to protect your children. And so I just, I wanted to make sure it was okay. I did, if something went wrong, I wanted to, you know, know when it went wrong so that we could immediately page the nurse, get someone in here. You know, I didn't want to be asleep and then wake up to, you know, a, a child, a dead child or something. And right, so, right. yeah, it's just that, that, that it's just amazing how that instinct kicks in immediately. Like, yeah. oh my goodness, right I away. love this child so much and I will do anything I have to do to protect it. It's just insane. I wasn't expecting that, especially cause I'm, I'm not a super emotional person. Um, but man, that, that was, so that was a bit of a surprise, just how much you immediately are just overcome with like all these different emotions. Um, but you know, really it all comes down to just, you just love that child so, so much. So. Yeah, that's beautiful. So, um, when you got home from the hospital, what did that look like? Um, you know, breastfeeding and just transitioning to motherhood. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm going to be honest. I had a fairly easy baby. He was a really good newborn. He slept well right away. Um, started sleeping through the night, um, around a month now, you know, we had some regressions in there, but, um, for the most part, like he was just a really easy, easygoing laid back baby. Um, my husband had a week off of work after that. And so he was home for the first week, which was great. Um, And, you know, I, given that we had a a pretty easygoing baby and I had such an easy delivery with no complications, they actually even let us go home from the hospital a little bit early. Um, We kind of just settled back into our normal life um, pretty quickly. Um, And uh, so, you know, the transition for me Uh, obviously everyone's different. For me, it was a little easier than I had probably expected. I don't like change. I'm not good with change. And so I was expecting, I think, a much harder transition. And so I think the Lord just really blessed us um, through and was just really gracious to us with that um, and just making that transition really easy. Um, But breastfeeding, on the other hand, was a little bit harder. Um, My milk didn't come in for about five days. 
Um, and so when we had our first uh, uh, appointment with our pediatrician at, um, when he was three days old, um, you know, he was just living off of, um, oh my gosh, the word just escaped me. What's the stuff that uh, comes well, up before your Colostrum, yes. I was yeah. like, collagen? No, that's not right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> colostrum. So he was just living on the colostrum at that point. And he had lost about 10% of his birth weight, which I know is normal for um, exclusively breastfed babies, which he was. Um, but the do- but the pediatrician was a little bit concerned that my milk hadn't come in yet. And, you know, he said, he gave me some tips to like help with that. But he, um, you know, he, he did say, you know, if it doesn't come in, like, in the next day or so, like, you, then we're going to need you to come back in and, and, you know, so, and so that we can be checking the weight and everything, because we don't want him to lose too much. Um, and so, you know, that kind of was a little bit discouraging, just right off the bat, already felt like, you know, and, and our pediatrician's great, and he totally didn't, you know, he's just, you know, doing his job. But, um, you know, immediately, I'm like, Oh, no, I'm a terrible mother, I can't even provide milk for my child. Um, you know, thankfully, my milk did come in about a day and a half after that. And so everything was fine. Um, but it was very painful. <laughs> and, um, it took, it it did take about two weeks for me to get used to it. And that whole two weeks, I just wanted to quit. And I think I yelled at my husband a couple times when he was just trying to be helpful, because I was just in so much pain. And um, it was really rough. And I was like, I am going to quit breastfeeding as soon as he turns six months, because six months is what's recommended. And I am not enjoying this. And I'm not doing it for one second longer than I'm, you know, I have to. Um, and, you know, it did get better. It did get better. Um, and, I, and I did go a little bit longer than six months. But the reason that I actually ended up stopping had nothing to do with whether or not I, it actually wasn't really my choice. Um, one thing about breastfeeding I had kind of been looking forward to is I had heard um, from moms who breastfeed that um, you just, you it kind of you form this like bond with your baby when you breastfeed Mm -hmm. and I was really looking forward to that and I never felt that I never really felt like breastfeeding like I felt bonded to my child it wasn't that I didn't it was just that I didn't feel like breastfeeding was adding to that bond in any way right or like it wasn't like I think I maybe it had just been so hyped up in my mind that, you know, I, I was kind of disappointed. I was like, I'm not feeling anything emotional from this. And maybe it's because I'm not an emotional person. I don't know. But I just wasn't feeling what so many moms have described they felt. And so for me, breastfeeding, you know, it eventually stopped hurting and it was fine. But for me, I liked breastfeeding just because it was convenient. Um, and, and really, that's it. <laughs> it was convenient yeah. to just, you know, you have you food is everywhere. It's free. It's easy. Like (laughs) you don't have to pack a lunch. It's, it's, you know, it's just (laughs) so convenient. Um, you don't have to prepare a bottle in the middle of the night. Um, and so that was really the thing that I liked about breastfeeding. And that was really the only reason that I liked breastfeeding. Um, but as he got older, um, he started, like I said, he started sleeping through the night really early, which I think contributed to this. Um, but after he was about six months, um, 
or like maybe five and a half to six months. And he was sleeping through the night really pretty consistently. Um, my supply started dropping, but I didn't realize it because he was not the, my, our feedings were still the same length that they always were. Um, and so I thought that he was still getting the same amount that he always had. Right. Right. You weren't getting that feedback. Right. Um, and so I think it was kind of a gradual thing that my supply was just gradually dropping. Our feeds were not getting shorter. And so I didn't notice. And, um, when we went in for his six month appointment, which was actually when he was seven months old, um, cause they couldn't get us in, but, um, he, he had fallen off of his growth chart cause he had lost weight and he had always been on the skinny side. Um, but it was never really a big concern of the doctor cause he was following his curve, um, and everything. And so he was just, you know, a skinny baby. Um, but this time he, he completely fell off the curve and I immediately felt like a horrible mom. <laughs> like no. I should have yeah. known, I, you know, I thought he, I, I'd always been concerned about his weight. Um, right. and, and so I was concerned, but every sure. time I'd been concerned before we'd go to the doctor and he'd be like, yep, he's great. He's, he's following fine. his curve. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, I just kind of was like, okay, I'm just overreacting again. It's fine. I had no way of like accurately weighing him at home because I didn't have an infant scale. And so I was just like, it's probably fine. I'm just worrying over nothing. Um, but yeah, then we went into that doctor appointment and, and my, <laughs> my like suspicion had been confirmed. The suspicion that I hoped was wrong. Um, and so, yeah, I, I immediately felt like a bad mom and like I, you know, like I should have known, I should have been able to do it. And then also like, great, I can't provide for my child. Um, and, you know, like I said, our pediatrician is great. And, you know, he told me straight up, like, this isn't your fault. This isn't a mom fail. Like, this is normal. We're going to get him back mm-hmm. on track. It's fine. Um, yeah. And so. Yeah, that happens to literally anyone. I mean, yeah. there's, you don't have a crystal ball. There's no way that you could have known. Right. So. Um, so, yeah, so he did say, you know, but, we'll, but you know, let's go ahead and get him supplemented with some formula. And he said, he actually told me, my pediatrician did, he said, you know, you, you can just supplement with formula, but, you know, if you want to stop breastfeeding, that's fine, too. You've already made it longer than most moms do because a lot of moms don't make it past six months um, breastfeeding. And so, you know, he said you made it seven months. That's amazing. You don't have to continue breastfeeding if you don't want to. And I think I was just so discouraged at that point. And like I said, I never loved breastfeeding anyway. I just liked the convenience of it um, that I was just like, yeah, I'm done. (laughs) Like, I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) Um, We're just going to go straight to formula. And the other thing was I had actually tried supplementing with formula before, um, (laughs) but he wouldn't, he wouldn't drink it. And um, I think he just, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the same. And so I also felt like, okay, well, if he, you know, he needs to drink it, he needs to actually take it. So maybe if that's all he's getting, he'll actually drink it. Um, and so, yeah, I kind I quit cold turkey, which I don't necessarily recommend doing. <laughs> but um, I was, I was very just like ready to be done. Yeah. And then, and then totally. I, yeah. And then I also like briefly 
was concerned that I might be struggling with postpartum depression. The pediatrician had mentioned it at that appointment. I had had a really bad week. And so like, I was just an emotional mess anyway. Um, and feeling like a bad mom and wasn't motivated to do anything. And, and my pediatrician picked up on that and he asked me about it and he gave my, um, my OBGYN a call and, um, she got me in to see her just for a consultation. So we talked and she gave me, you know, a couple options for that. Um, but that ended up, I think it was just a bad week because after that week, I just, I felt so much better. Um, once he started gaining weight again and everything. So, you know, it was just one of those things where I was like, great, I think I have postpartum depression on top of all this, but then I didn't. So, um, but, you know, I wanted to be proactive about that. I figured, well, you know, it can't hurt to just go talk to someone and, you know, see what's going on here. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, praise God that you weren't struggling with that, but I mean, even that is so common and something that I think you did the right thing. You were ready to accept help and, um, you know, just look into your options. And I think that's the key because the struggling in silence and, um, kind of being too embarrassed to say anything or something like that is really what leads to the bulk of the issues with postpartum. Um, but if you're willing to get help early, it's like, you know, something that you can, it'll be hard, but you can get through. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad that that didn't end up being part of your story. So, um, at that point, did he take to the formula pretty well? Like, did you try a different kind or anything like that? Yeah, no, he did. Um, when I first gave it to him, you know, he kind of like made a face and like didn't want to drink it. But since he wasn't being offered anything else, that was it. He he did take to it pretty quickly. Um, you know, I think he was just really hungry. <laughs> I really do. And of course, that again, like made me feel bad. I was like, he's so hungry. And he's probably been hungry for months. <laughs> but he's like I said, he's an easygoing baby. And so yeah his temperament didn't change either. Like he was always like just happy. He was developing fine, like hitting all of his milestones. And so I just, there were no red flags to me. And so, you know, should have told me baby. I know. I'm (laughs) like, why didn't you tell me you were hungry? (laughs) Um, so yeah, it was just, you know, he, I mean, he's just a great baby, but, um, but yeah, I just totally missed it. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, Um, well, I'm so glad that he took to the formula well and, you know, got back on track, I'm guessing with his weight chart and all that. Yes. By the next appointment, he was back on his curve and it was all good. 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 Um, so how have things been since then? I mean, he's in the toddler stage now, so how are you feeling about that? And, um, you know, what's next for y'all? Yeah. Um, so yeah, he is 20 months now, or I guess about 20 and a half months. Um, the 28th, he'll be 21 months. So he is uh, starting the terrible twos a little early, I think. <laughs> um, no, he's still he's advanced. Yes, yeah, he's advanced. <laughs> he he hits everything early. Um, <laughs> he um, he is a very active, outgoing child. He loves people. He's he's ha- he's just he's very happy all the time. Uh, he's still a fairly easy child. He still sleeps great and all of that. But you know, we are entering a little bit of today was actually a little bit of a rough day. He's he's starting to throw some temper tantrums. 
Um, so we've got that going on. And of course, he's testing, pushing every every boundary, seeing what he can get away with. Um, and then he's also just very, very active. And he's a climber. So he climbs on everything. I had to put all my breakables away as soon as he started walking. Um, because he was he's just on top of everything and he destroys everything he touches. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it, you know, this is definitely a more challenging stage for me than any other stage we've hit so far. Um, just because he was such a laid back, easy baby. He never was upset that much. We didn't even lose that much sleep um in the beginning. Um, but now he's definitely testing my patience. But <laughs> Even despite all that, he's just the greatest joy and blessing in my life. And I'm just so grateful. I mean, my husband and I look at him every day and we go, how did we get so lucky to have such a great kid? And, you know, and I think that the experience, you know, that we've had and that many, many women who struggle with infertility or loss deal with uh, or the perspective that they have is, you know, you never take your child for granted. And, you know, Cause you're just, you, you know what it's like to not have them. And, um, you know, that's not to say that people who don't go through that do take their children for granted. Um, certainly not everyone, but, but some people do, I have totally. across people yeah. in my life who do take their children for granted. And, yeah. you know, I just, I will, I, I, I can't, I can't ever do that because I mm. just feel so blessed to have him. And so, um, we are actually currently going through the same process again that we did to conceive him um and we are hoping to conceive baby number two soon um so we're we're going through that now um so exciting uh, yeah how far are you into this round so I just did my first cycle of Clomid so she went ahead and started me on the higher dose this time that I conceived on last time so Mm -hmm. um we didn't start at the lower dose so but this is my first cycle so Okay. So we'll see. <laughs> We're praying. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah. yeah, definitely keep us updated. Absolutely. Maybe we can do um, like an update podcast next year. That would be fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's so exciting. Yeah. Um, do you feel like this time around you have any kind of a different perspective on it? Absolutely. Um, I really do. And, and I think the biggest thing is that so – the first time around when we were trying it, you know, it took us a little, it was a little over a year um, from when we officially started trying to when we actually conceived. And I mentioned earlier in the podcast that I had had concerns even before I got diagnosed with PCOS that, um, that I was going to have trouble conceiving. And because of that, I opted and, and my husband also, you know, agreed with this, but we opted not to tell anybody that we were trying to conceive. And, um, you know, for me, the reason for that was fear um, and and fear that I would be judged if I didn't get pregnant quickly. In Mm -hmm. my, in my circle at my church, um, there are always multiple women pregnant Mm -hmm. and um, constantly. And, and, and it, doesn't seem to be a huge issue uh, or a common issue among the women that are in my life. 
um, they seem to get pregnant very quickly. <laughs> and yeah, um, that can feel really isolating. It can. It did, and it did, and it felt very isolating, especially as you know we're going through this journey. People who you know I knew hadn't been trying as long as us were, you know, announcing their pregnancies. It was just really, really rough. And um, you know, so that was part of the reason why I didn't want to say anything too, was because. I was afraid, you know, that people would be like, you know, oh, I wonder why, you know, they haven't been able, you know, they haven't conceived yet. Uh, they've been trying for a really long time. Something must be wrong. Like, I don't know. I just had this fear in my mind that like people were <laughs> going to be talking about me or like mm, yeah. whatever, you know, completely irrational things, honestly. But that was, that was um, kind of what was going on in my mind. And mm. um, so I didn't want to tell anyone. And um, finally, when we were we were already going through the process of of Clomid um, and everything, but I, it was before I got pregnant. We had joined a, a small group at our church, and it was like the second week that they met, and um, we um, had split up men and women. And um, this had been a little over a year at the point. I think it, we had been at about thirteen months um, of trying and. We were having a conversation um, in our small group. And like I said, the men and the women were split up. And so it was just the women. And we were um, talking about um, living an honest and open life before others and just sharing your struggles and, and things like that with people, um, you know, and, and people were sharing personal stories. And our group leader, she went first and she actually shared a story about having a miscarriage and how she had a miscarriage. And, you know, at first they maybe didn't want to tell people, but they ended up, you know, reaching out and sharing that with others. And just the amount of support that they received and the outpouring of love that they received was just so helped them get through a really hard time because that community is so important. And um, a few other people shared stories, you know, kind of similar. And I'm just listening to this the whole time. And, you know, I had expected that maybe at some point in the group, I would share our, our journey, but I wasn't expecting to do it on the second week of our group <laughs> when yeah. I, you know, didn't even know some of these people very well. <laughs> but while people are talking and sharing their stories, I just felt really convicted, like mm. I need to share my story too. Yeah. And so I spoke up and I shared my story. And the moment I did, two other women in the group said, one of them said, I went through that exact same thing. And then another one said, I'm going through that right now too. Mm -hmm. And I never would I have chills. known that. Yeah. yeah. I never would have known that if I hadn't spoken yeah. up. And I found out later that night that my husband actually also shared with the men <laughs> the okay. same thing. And we hadn't talked yeah. about that or planned it beforehand, but we both just did it. And, um, and you know, it, it was just amazing. I immediately found other people who were struggling with the same thing. And so yeah. I went, you know, 13 months feeling really alone. Mm -hmm. And just by opening up, suddenly I had two more people right there with me. Mm -hmm. And um, wow. thank you, Lord. That's amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. And, um, and then I found out I was pregnant about a month later. And, um, and so I do have a totally different perspective this time around. I'm a lot more open about it. <laughs> um, I'm in a, yeah. I, have a, I have another small group I'm in this year. Um, I've been, you know, asking them to pray, say, you know, we're going through this process. Just pray that, you know, the the Lord will bless us with another child. But, you know, in his timing, um, 
And, uh, and so I, I am a lot more open about it. And you know what? I feel a lot more encouraged about it. It was so discouraging the first time around. Um, and I think a big part of that was because I was going through it alone. But I think another big part of it was I just wasn't really trusting the Lord with it. Um, and this time is different. This time I know I have people in my corner. I know I yeah. have people praying for me. Um, but I've also been really encouraged lately um, just reading through the Bible. And there are so many stories in the Old Testament. I'm, I'm reading through the Bible chronologically right now. Mm-hmm. And um, there are just so many stories throughout the Bible of women who were barren. Yes. And they yes. couldn't, you know, they couldn't get pregnant. You've got Sarah, you've got Rachel, um, mm-hmm. you've got Rebecca. I mean, all of them. Yes. I mean, and these are all people in Jesus's genealogy and, yes. you know, in the line of Jesus and they were yeah. all barren and, and it wasn't because they were sinner. I mean, obviously they were sinners, but it wasn't because God was punishing them or anything right. like that, but it was because God had a greater plan. Like yeah. he had a plan. He knew exactly what his glory. Exactly. Yeah. It was all for his glory. And, yeah. you know, that's just been so encouraging to see wow, like, it's Mm -hmm. not anything that I've done. It's not a punishment for Mm -hmm. me. It's not anything like that. But it's because God is in control. And he has a plan that's far better than any plan I could ever imagine. And he's waiting for the right time. And I just wanted to share one verse too that has been very helpful just in general for the times that we're living in right now, but also specifically related to this, but it's Acts 17, 26 says, and he made from one man, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. And that verse has just helped me realize, you know, God has ordained a specific time for every single person. And he has picked that time for us for a very specific reason. And we don't know what that reason is, <laughs> but God does. And um, yeah. and so it's just encouraging to me to know that any future children that we have, if that's in the Lord's plan, God already knows exactly when they're going to be born. He's already picked out the perfect time for them. Mm-hmm. And and, and they're going to come at that time and not a yeah. minute sooner and not a minute later. And, and that is so encouraging to me because I can just yes. trust in God and know that it's all part of his plan. And, it, you know, it's all for his glory. And he's going to make sure that we have our babies right at the exact right time. <laughs> and, and it takes the pressure yeah. off a little bit, honestly. It does. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I think, well, first of all, thank you. I mean, thank you for that. Just sweet word of encouragement. I know so many women are going to be encouraged by that. I'm so encouraged by that. And, um, I, I think the key thing that you said is that this is seen over and over again in God's word. His word does not return void. He has everything that we need in his word. Um, and if he, if we would just go to the scriptures, um, you know, how encouraged would we be? You know what I mean? Like yes, absolutely. these women who are going through 
infertility who are not believers. I just don't understand how they have any hope, Kayla. I really don't. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And even women who are believers who are just really in the trenches and, and I've been there and, you know, I think you've been there too, of just Mm -hmm. trying to like survive and get through it and control it and figure it out on your own and all of that kind of stuff. Um, if we would just submit to the Lord and submit to his word, then, um, you know, what peace that would bring. So I think it's beautiful that you have this testimony of kind of like what you went through with your first and now this journey to your second, it's just, you know, God is so glorified in that and so magnified to others. So thank you for sharing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we kind of talked about it already just as far as, you know, encouraging women to Mm -hmm. seek God's word um, and seek community. Um, But is there anything else that you can think of that you would say to those longing to be mothers? I mean, I just want to reiterate to trust God because he has a plan and, you know, whatever that plan, it's probably not your plan. (laughs) It's probably not the same, but I promise you it's so much better than anything you could have ever imagined. And um, I would just say, trust God. And if you're having a hard time with that, which is totally understandable because I have a hard time with it. I think everybody has a hard time with that. Totally. Yeah. We want to know what's going on and we want to be in control, but we're not. Um, I would say, pray, pray about it. Ask God to help you trust him. Ask God to just, you know, have his hand over this and to help you have an open hand about it. And then like I said, um, you know, reading the scriptures really helped me. I've never been a huge Bible reader. It's something I've struggled with my lo- in my life, um, reading the Bible regularly. And so I found this plan that I started this year, um, reading through the Bible chronologically. And um, I'm really enjoying it. And for the first time, like I look forward to reading my Bible and it has already been so fruitful um, for many, many reasons. But, you know, one is just what I just shared, um, you know, seeing God, seeing God's plan just play out in the most unexpected ways, but it's all to bring him glory. And it's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful story, the Bible. And, um, you know, so I would just encourage you, like, get in the word and pray. <laughs> that, that's, yeah. that's my best advice, honestly. I love it. Yeah. I love it. And it's not complicated. You no. know, it doesn't, it's not a 10 step plan. It's just seek the father and yep. submit to the father. And Absolutely. that's all we can do. That is, yep. That's all yeah. We can do. Yeah. Well, Kayla, I'm, I'm so honored to have had you on tonight. And I just know that so many women are going to benefit from this. So I can't thank you enough. Um, yeah. Is there any, is there anywhere that you would like to point women any resources or anywhere that they can connect with you if you're open to that or anything along those lines? Oh gosh. Um, hmm. And it's totally okay if not. (laughs) (laughs) I, yeah, I can't think of anything. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I mean, God's word is the ultimate resource. So let's just point back to that. We're just going to keep saying that. Absolutely. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, 
Thank you so much again. And I can't wait to hopefully have you on again to hear about number two. Yeah, absolutely. I'll keep you posted. Yeah, please do. Please do. Well, thank you so much. And um, I hope that those listening are edified by this and um, yeah, seek Jesus and submit to him. And yeah, that's it. That's Thanks it. for being on. That's what life's all about. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. I truly hope that today's episode was an encouragement to you. I pray that you will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. Please subscribe, share, and leave a rating for this podcast. I could not do this without you. See you next time.